Hello and welcome to Atlantic Conversations. I'm Fanula Sweeney. The Atlantic Fellowship Programme works with a diverse community of leaders around the world with a common commitment to fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies. Through its seven programmes focused on equity and healthcare, socio-economic equity and racial equity, the Atlantic Fellowships offer those leaders an opportunity to gain new perspectives and new colleagues while strengthening their confidence in their work for change. In each podcast, I'll be speaking to an Atlantic Fellow about their work and ambitions for a more just world. For this series, I travelled to Sao Paulo, Brazil, for the Global Brain Health Institute Annual Conference, where I caught up with a number of Atlantic Fellows. Today, I'm joined by Crystal Culler, an Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health. Crystal works for a non-profit organisation called Memory Matters at Hilton Head in South Carolina. I began by asking what had prompted Crystal's interest in brain health. My educational background and training was in gerontology and psychology and ageing. I was on a track to do my PhD in adult development and ageing. And I ended up having about a five-minute seizure when I was in graduate school and had to take medical leave for a semester. It was through that I started to navigate the U.S. healthcare system, which isn't easy. And I started to realize where the intersection of aging and healthcare came into play. So I actually decided to leave my traditional training in academia and went for what is a derivative program of a PhD, which is a doctorate in behavioral health and applied healthcare degree. I wanted to see more about the healthcare and applied practice side and bring in my training in aging and background in gerontology and be able to bridge the two together. I've always had the interest in dementia. At the time of my own health issues, my family was also caring for my grandmother with dementia. So I wanted to be able to bring everything together full circle. You talk there about the interplay between aging and healthcare. Can you describe what that is like in the United States? I think we see a lot of segmentation. So it either happens to be within healthcare system, what we would traditionally call under medical health or behavioral healthcare systems, and then what happens in community-based settings. So it tends to be very siloed. Then we also have what would be our aging services. So it was in my line of thinking, I had the training in aging. So I had the understanding of the aging sector, but I wanted to go more into the healthcare sector to better understand how it works from a systematic level from funding and then thinking more of how I could bridge the aging and start to think about how we can work outside of traditional models to better serve people where there were unmet needs. And what is the flexibility to work outside those traditional models in the United States where it's so dependent on funding? What I had found was my first job when I started a center for brain health in Cleveland and then when I moved to this new nonprofit organization that's been in existence for 22 years is they've found ways to make it work. There's grant funding revenues, there's of course the large philanthropy world, and then there's the models where you make them private pay and you bring them together. So we're finding people that are thinking innovatively, but also the community collaboration. Talk to me a little more about the community collaboration, because this is something that goes beyond elders or seniors in the community. You're talking here about involving everyone when it comes to brain health. How does that work on the ground? One great example that we have is our nonprofit organization, Memory Matters. They started historically in churches, churches giving us space, running early memory loss groups for individuals more early stage dementia, And that's something we've revisited in the past two years. 
We have a social model adult day program that's a freestanding memory care center that was built about 10 years ago. And then realizing that people with early stage memory loss are still independently involved in the community. So the idea of coming to a center is a mismatch. They want to go to a place within their community because that's where they're actively involved and engaged. So we bridged back our partnerships to the churches where we historically started out 22 years ago. Does that mean that there's a lack of awareness of brain health or the importance of brain health? Or is it exactly the opposite that there is, but people want to still be proactive and functioning in their community as opposed to going to a center specifically for people with a diagnosis of cognitive impairment? I think we're at the time now where we're seeing both. One of the things our organization's really grateful for is funding from a large nonprofit to raise brain health awareness within our community. We're at the very beginning of collecting data, at least in the Hilton Head Island and a few of our surrounding areas of understanding what is the level of brain health awareness and education. We have been providing what we call a brain boosters curriculum, teaching people about what brain health is. We've captured healthy aging participants and those probably up to early stage memory loss, teaching them about aspects of brain health, diet, exercise, understanding your limbic system, how to control your emotions and use that to benefit you in your everyday life. And we're going to start measuring those impacts on our community. We received a three-year grant, and then we were very fortunate through another family fund, they matched those grant funds. So we're excited to see where that work can go and measure that impact within our community for six years. Within our social model, Adult Day, we have five brain-healthy interventions that we promote. Physical exercise, lifelong learning, a Mediterranean diet and lifestyle, encouraging people to socialize when they're there within our programs. So it's exciting to see this cutting edge brain health science coming online from all these fabulous researchers and how we can then translate that into programs and services that we can have people practice every day when they're with us in our programs. So the emphasis from what you're saying is on prevention and also if there is a diagnosis or some kind of cognitive impairment to delay the progress of that. Yes, and we've been seeing the people that are engaging in our early memory loss groups have been maintaining for quite some time. So we're working with the University of South Carolina to better measure that. We're realizing we need to be doing the research on what's the impact of the curriculum and programs that we offer. We're at the point where community is impacting what research can do. But then we're also on that translational piece of how do we get the education and knowledge out about what we do know on a wider scale. So we do the community education side for individuals and organizations that need that brain health and even at times the dementia awareness for individuals. We're speaking here, you and I, in Sao Paulo in Brazil, where there's been the Global Brain Health Institute annual conference, where 67 fellows have come together from around the world who are participating or like yourself or myself have participated in the program. We're also co-hosting with Alzheimer's International, their satellite symposium here. What do you take away from a convening like this, hearing from other speakers, hearing from your peers? It's always so exciting when like-minded people come together. And I always take away the idea of hope because as we keep hearing, we're taking these inches forward. I'm always just listening to the research that's coming out. And in my mind, it's what can we translate from that now to individuals. So I'm sitting here taking my notes and thinking, how can it improve the curriculums of brain health education? We're inching our way forward in this field, and it's an exciting time for brain health. What motivated you to become an Atlantic Fellow? 
When I heard Dr. Robertson talk about the idea of wanting to train up a group of people. This is Ian Robertson, yes. who's co-director of the Global Brain Health Institute at Trinity College in Dublin. Yes, and it was that idea of when the information becomes available online, how can we work more rapidly to that translation piece? It resonated with me so well because I have some of the academic training and my career was also shifting more to what I would say is the practice orientation I'm in the field working with people that are either currently having brain health concerns or worried about it or are currently living with some type of memory loss. How can we still encourage people to live well with memory loss and still be brain healthy at times? So that idea of rapid translation, I wanted to be a part of that. Even when I come here and I'm learning what some of the fantastic fellows are doing in their work, I've been trying to translate some of those pieces, even my brain Robbie into an intergenerational program at our center. That is an animation based on a character called Robbie who is promoting brain health and it was developed by one of the senior fellows, the Atlantic Fellows for Brain Health Equity, Eleanor Byan. You seem to be very committed to the area of brain health. Is it a lifelong vocation for you? That is where I see my career growing in the years ahead. It's just one of those things that resonates with me and I hope to be able to continue to grow in that area. So far, I've been fortunate to find jobs that have aligned with that passion. How do you see that field developing in the next 10 years? You're saying that the emphasis being on brain health is a very exciting time. Even just in the different areas within the U.S., we see different funding coming that way. We see different institutes starting to take off in that direction. And then I think even in the community side, we're seeing the room for innovation to develop different programs and different service lines and also the idea for innovative collaborations among organizations, whether it's two or three coming around the table. So I think we're going to be seeing exciting times ahead for how we can unfold, work together, and best support people living in the community as well. How aware do you think communities are in the United States about the importance of brain health? Depending on the pocket of where we're at in the community, there's still some levels of disparity or inequity. So it's thinking about how to still raise that level of awareness. We have a lot of lifestyle factors that we have in our own control and that we can manage to decrease our risks for dementia down the line. But it still encompasses the sensitivity around it because we're talking about things that are personal to people, your diet, possibly your memory even, and so it's still that stigma. So how do we approach some of these issues that still have the sensitivity in a way where we can educate? So it's addressing things in a positive way so that we can lower those walls and still get in the education. You're also being an Atlantic Fellow, part of a wider community of Atlantic Fellows for different kinds of equity around the world, seven programs, and all of which the Global Brain Health Institute's program is just one. Does that appeal to you in any way, the possibility that there might be opportunities to cross-pollinate, for example, with other people in other programs when it comes to dementia and health? It does. So many of the works that a lot of us are doing, there's lots of points of intersection. And I think even my training is so diverse. I come from social background in healthcare. And so the opportunity to connect with these fellows and these other programs who have been more embedded in those trainings and what we know that our own institute offers, I think the possibilities can be endless when like-minded people get together and think about a problem. So I'm really excited to see where these connections will lead in the future. Does it ever occur to you how being ill when you were studying has influenced your life and career since then? I always think sometimes blessings come in disguise. 
And I had thought if my own brain didn't kind of fire off in some unbeknownst way to me at the time, the, the path that I may have taken. But I look back and I'm grateful for that moment because it did lead me to more of a career path and understanding the brain and the mind-body connection. So far, it's led me to a career that I'm very happy with and one that I'm passionate about. It actually allows me to better connect with the people I work with because I can say I have my own brain health and memory concerns that I manage on a daily basis. So things have a way of working out. We'll leave it there. Crystal Color, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That was Crystal Color, Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health. For more information, you can visit www.atlanticfellows.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to the Atlantic Conversations podcast.